Lord Jesus, I, I ask that you would come and, and fill this room with your presence. Holy Spirit, we are so, we so want to know more about you. We're not here just to have our ears tickled. We're here to know more about you, to understand who we are in greater measure, Lord God. To become more the people you always meant us to be, Lord God. To become more expert in carrying your presence, being your image to the world, taking dominion and bringing your will and way into the world. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that as I preach today, they would hear more than my words. They would hear you speaking to the deepest parts of their souls. Lord God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. We are, let me start like this. Some years back, I was out walking and I saw this beautiful little plant that I thought looked fantastic in my garden. It wasn't growing in anyone else's garden, so I didn't steal it. But I did pick it up and brought it home. And as I walked into the home, uh, David, my eldest son, was there and he said, he was like, looked happy to me, see me, and he said, Mom, what's that in your hand? And I said, oh, it's a plant. It's going to look amazing in our garden. And I had told him all the plants I had for it. His face changed immediately. It went from delight to concern. He ran up to me, grabbed the plant, ran over to Joshua, handed it to him and said, Joshua, quick, hide the plant. We have to save it. Who knows what Mom will do with it? This is a true story. The point is, gardening is not one of my strengths. It may not even be in my top 10. But, but today we are talking about gardeners. And lucky for you, it's not really about gardening, because otherwise you should have someone else up here. Lucky for you, it is more about the work you do and how that fits into God's plan for you and how it affects the world. And what you are called to is so very important that you do it in a certain way that will, that will actually affect history, that will affect, in fact change the world because of your faithfulness. So we are, we are looking at that today and we have called it gardeners. We're in the sermon series, Why Am I Here? For goodness sake, the question of existence, why am I alive? So, Genesis 1, we looked at last week, and you will remember, we, we learned how we as human beings carry the image of God that we show forth to the wor world his holiness and his love. We also learned how we take dominion over the world, that we are created to bring the will and way of God, to partner with him, to move creation, all of the world, towards God's perfect plan in conjunction with him, bringing the kingdom as we go. Genesis 1 is a giant big picture of the world. It, it's, it shows God, Elohim, it uses the word Elohim for God as, as the sovereign creator over all creation, bringing about this magnificent, magnificent picture that we see in Genesis 1. Genesis 2, where we're going to spend our time today, is a little bit different. God now changes the perspective. Before it was this kind of cosmic picture of creation. Genesis 2 now is a very personal picture of creation. In, in Genesis 1, we see God creating mankind in his image, and it's kind of just a big statement that he created him, there, us in his image. In Genesis 2, it's very different. 
It says, God comes down and he creates Adam out of the dust of the earth. It's personal, it's gritty. God's got his hands right in there. In my mind, I get this picture of God like working with Play-Doh or with like plasticine and kind of just molding Adam's body and his existence. Like I get this picture of, you know, as, as he forms the legs, they, they got thumbprints all over it as he molds it. It's, it's, it's intensely personal. God's right there. And then we see God coming and breathing into Adam the breath of life. I mean, this is eternal cosmic mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. You, know, this, you don't get more personal than this. The very life of Adam is breathed into him by the presence of God. God is, is pressing his presence into this creation, into this being that he names Adam. We see Adam then being placed in a garden. And it says garden. But if you read it, Genesis 2 from verse 11 through to 14, it's a lot more than a garden. It's kind of like a national park. There are four rivers, there's gold, there's every kind of plant, there's all the animals. And you know, it speaks to me of the generosity of God. You know, when God says he's going to give you a husband or a wife. If this picture is anything to go by, if that's his picture of a garden, you are getting something beyond your wildest imagination. When, when God speaks about giving you stuff, you know, our mind paints a very small picture, but when God comes and does it, it's this massive, expansive, enormous thing that, that blows your expectations, just, just pushes away the boundaries of our understanding of the goodness of God. So he places Adam in this garden, and we're going to pick up the story. I've left the part out about the, the national park because it, it kind of was a filler, and I've told you it now. But we are going to read Genesis 2, 4 through 7 and onwards. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I want to have you notice a few phrases there because we're kind of going to build on those phrases. We see that God caused to, to come up, to spring up from this garden, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It was both, both functional and beautiful. And then he says, he put man, man there to work it and to keep it. And we're going to talk about literally what that means, because that's your daily job description, basically. And then I want you to notice that throughout this 
portion of scripture. When it talks about God, it says, Lord God. Remember in Genesis 1, it always just talked about God, G-O-D. Now it talks about Lord God. And that, that first word, Lord, is always capitalized in your Bible. Because it is, it is to indicate to you that it is the proper personal name of God, Yahweh. So in Genesis 1, God is spoken of as Elohim, the, the creator, sovereign, all-encompassing God. But when he begins to refer to himself in Genesis 2, he says, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. So it's that God of Genesis 1, but now I'm adding another dimension to who I am. I was, I was sovereign creator of all, but now I'm Yahweh Elohim. So the word Yahweh to the Israelites was the covenant name of God. God had, God had called Abraham out of Babylon many, many years before the, the, the Israelites would have been reading this. And he had, he had taken him on a journey to Canaan. And there in Canaan, he had made a covenant with him. And that covenant was most certainly made for Abraham. It was made, it was made with Abraham as an intimate covenant between God and Abraham. But that, that covenant wasn't just for Abraham. That covenant was for the world and for the nations because it says, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right. So God enters into this covenant with Abraham. The nation of Israel grows and becomes a nation, is taken into captivity in Egypt. You know the story. And they come out in the, in the Exodus. And this, the book of Genesis, would have been written to them around that time. So they had already come out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt. And now they, they were learning their history. Genesis is the book that taught them their history, the history of the world, how everything was put together, and the origins of all things. As they were coming out of Egypt and in the process, God manifested himself to Moses in the burning bush. You remember that story. And he declared himself, his personal name, Yahweh. And he reiterated in that moment, I am the God that made that covenant with Abraham. And I am here answering the prayers of your people and the cries of their heart because of the covenant I had with Abraham. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, when God manifests himself, when he speaks to his people, he reminds them, I'm the God of that covenant. I'm a covenant-keeping God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. A covenant is a binding agreement that can only be broken by death. And the beautiful thing is, God never dies. So any covenant you're in with him, it's forever. Amen. <laughs> and God is faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to his covenant. And as the Israelites were reading this or having it spoken to them, they would have said, oh my word, that same God that is in covenant with Abraham and our forefathers and, and brought us out of Egypt and is faithful to his covenant, he's the one who put Adam in the garden. That same God that was in covenant with Israel is in covenant with us through Jesus Christ. 
Because he's a God, God who binds himself to his word. He's a God who cannot deny what he said. He's a God who will do what he has promised. And through Christ Jesus, he has made a covenant ratified in his blood. Unbreakable. And he's made that covenant with you and with me. And as a result, we can be so certain. We can be so certain of a good outcome. We can be so certain that this covenant God is with us, that he'll be true to his word. And as he put Adam in that garden, we can look at that story and say, this is how a covenant-keeping God has set up the earth and how he works through me to get things done. How many of you have been on a plane to Cape Town? Cape Town came to us in the weather today. I'm just saying, you don't even have to get on a plane. Here we are, Cape Town came. But you're on a plane to Cape Town. You're pretty sure if you just sit in your seat, um, accept the peanuts and pay for the, the food, mind your own business, stay on the plane, you are safe and you're gonna get to Cape Town. And yes, of course, your plane was serviced by Lufthansa, then that's another story. But, <laughs> sorry guys, I couldn't resist that, I couldn't resist that. But anyway, you're sitting on the plane. You're safe, you're gonna get to Cape Town. Unless, of course, you think to yourself, man, I can do better than this. Man, you open the door, you jump out against that roaring wind, flap your arms as hard as you can, I'm going to Cape Town. The only place you won't get is Cape Town. You see, you see, as long as you're on the plane, you're getting to the right place. And you see, this is what it means to be in covenant with God, is that you're on the plane. You're in Him. You're in Christ. And, and His mission and His purposes and His good will is moving towards some place. And you're in it and you're on it and you're going to get there. As long as you remain in that covenant. Paul, he says this in Romans 15, he says, in Christ Jesus, in other words, in the covenant, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. In other words, when I stay in the covenant, the work I do with my hands, the things I put my, my labor and my heart to become glorious. And I can be proud of them. I can say, yes, yes, that's worth it. It's significant. It means something. The Lord God put in a garden. We learned that the, the Lord God caused trees to, do, to grow up in this garden. It was interesting that it says, did you, do you remember that? That he, he hadn't caused anything to grow because there was no man to work it. You understand that so much of the purposes of creation, the purposes of this world, depend on mankind's ability to say yes to God. And there are so many things he won't do until mankind, you and me, says yes. Until we're in place. But, but 
initially, he actually does then cause all these plants to grow up, and they are pleasant to the eye and good for food. What I love about this is that God was going to ask Adam to work and keep the garden. But the truth is that God was working and keeping the garden before he asked Adam. You see, God never asks you to do something he's not already doing. Even in our Christian walk, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's not giving you a job description and saying, there, go and make it happen on your own. He's saying, come and work in the work that I am doing. What I love about this picture is that, you know, when God creates something, it's so much more than just functional. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. It looks fine. It captures not only your intellect, but it captures your imagination. And you know, for so many of us, work is just a box we tick. But you see, when God invites you into the work of his kingdom, he's not just asking you to tick a box. He's asking you to create like he creates. He's asking you to work like he works. So he's asking you in your workplace, in your family, in wherever you put your labor, to not just get a functional thing done, but to create something of beauty that also works. That our, our, our work and the way we work and what we produce the world should turn to it and say, oh my word, that's magnificent. That's magnificent. I was talking to a friend the other day and this particular person is a coder. You know, they code, computer code. It's another kind of code. Not the code you put in your alarm system, but computer code. And, and, and we were talking and I was saying, oh, you just, you know, isn't it, you know, just boring writing all those letters and numbers down in, in reams and just, and he turned to me, he was so frustrated and he, he showed me some of his code and he said, look at this code. This code is beautiful. <laughs> this code is beautiful. And you know what it was? You know, it was like, it was like in groups and it was indented and it was like, you know, it's like I could look at it and say, wow, that's fantastic. And I could see that this, this, he wasn't just writing code. He was making a masterpiece. And this is what I'm talking about. When God says creating stuff that is good to the eye and also functional, good to eat, he's asking that we, we change our mentality about what we do. We're not just getting a job done. We're painting a canvas with the glory of God. And you know what this does? It brings art, music, creativity into the picture in everything we do. And you may say, I'm not creative, but you know, this person who was doing that code probably didn't feel they were creative either. Everyone's creative to some degree, and it means you, all those things come into play as valuable as part of the glory of God and the image of God shown to the world through what we do. Yeah. So we not only work with God in covenant, but we work like God. Yeah. 
we do it in the same way that he does, showing forth beauty as well as functionality. You are called to reflect both the order of God and the beauty of God. Jesus, I just, don't you love Jesus? Well, I do and I do again every time I read his word. It's just magnificent. Three times he says something along these lines. John 17, 13, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Do you understand? He wasn't just speaking words so that you would like be, know what to do. He wasn't just doing a job. More than, more than that, he also wanted joy to well up in you. He wanted you to see the beauty of his kingdom and say, oh my word, that's magnificent. We work with God and we work like God. The last phrase that we looked at was that Adam was to work and keep the garden. So the word work is the word, the Hebrew word abad. And it means to work, to serve, or to worship. You see, God didn't mean it just to be this, like I said, tick box experience. He meant the work we do, what Adam was doing, to be an act of worship to his God. To be a place where God, where, where Adam put in, put in more than just his labor, he put in his soul. It means that worship is not just what you sing on a Sunday. Worship is, is what you do nine to five, Monday to Friday. In fact, maybe uh, all the time. It's an attitude of bringing my life in service of the king. And that all I do reflects his love for me. All I, all I do reflects my gratitude to a God who breathed so very personally his life into me, who molded me in a very personal and gritty way that knows my every sinew, my every fiber, who loves me unconditionally. All I do is worship unto him. The, the next word, keep, interestingly enough, means to God. And you know, Adam didn't do this because we read on in the story how the snake came into the garden and was able to deceive his wife Eve and just all chaos ensued. Because one of the primary things we are meant to do in our workplace, in our homes, in our environments, is we're meant to guard them from evil. What does that mean? It means you're a manager at work and, and people are gossiping about someone else. You push back against that and say, that's not happening in my workplace. It means when thoughts of anger and irritation, jealousy, flood your soul. You push them out because no, I'm guarding a garden. I'm guarding a place. In this place, nothing but the goodness of God will dwell. We worship and we guard in our workplace and in the things that God has given us to do on a daily basis. Guard your work environment so that it facilitates worship to Yahweh. We not only work with God and like God, but we work for God. Guarding his, his property, establishing his kingdom, worshiping him in the process. 
in conclusion, from his covenant with us, we work with him, like him, and for his purposes. As I close, I was just thinking about how we work from the covenant. And I was just thinking about how the covenant that God made with us through Jesus Christ was ratified by the most mind-blowing event, which was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How, how throughout the time that, that Jesus was on earth, the covenant that he was making with us was undergirded by miracle after miracle after miracle. And I was just thinking how, as we called to this place of, of putting labor and effort into bringing God's kingdom, about seeing our every day as a place of showcasing God's beauty and God's order. That we don't do it alone. There's a miracle working God who's right there that confirms his word with signs and wonders. That these signs follow those who believe. And I would hate you to leave here just more determined to work better. I would, I would want you to leave here with a vision and a picture of how God wants you to work, why God wants you to work, how important it is to work with his presence. But I would also want you to leave here knowing that you can expect miracles. As you go about this, you can expect God to move on your behalf. Andrew and I were talking to another friend of ours. He um, is high up in a multinational company. And he was telling us how during COVID, so many of the divisions had not made money. But his, his division stood head and shoulders above the others in that it, made, it, it actually made money and expanded during COVID. And he said, the reason was I prayed and I did it with God and God, God did miracles. God opened doors. God made a way. Many of you have heard that fantastic story that Chris Vallotton tells. I just love it. He also talking about code and he ran a business and, and he needed to change the security system, but he knew nothing about computer coding. And it had to, it had to get a new code in order to, to work. And he went to bed one night and said, God, you've got to help me. I don't know what to do. And that night he dreamed literally of a code, a series, you know, you know code? He dreamed literally of a string of coding. He wrote it down, he went the next day, put it into the particular place in the program and bam, everything, all the lights came on. How many times have you gone to sleep with a problem and woke up with the solution? You think you were so smart? <laughs> God's that good. He's a miracle working God. We can expect miracles. We can expect provision. I've told the story before how, how we are in Namibia and we, we are serving the students. They're coming over for, for dinner and I make one pan of lasagna, which I'm famous for just by the way. I make one pan of lasagna and it's enough for the first five or six students that walk in, but they just keep walking in. They just keep walking in. Students, students, students. And I've got this one lonely pan of lasagna. I put it out, I put it out on the table and I said, Lord Jesus, do a miracle. Yeah. 
And he did. Everyone had more than enough, and we had lasagna left over. They either hated my lasagna or God multiplied it right there on their pamphlets. But my friends, we can expect miracles. You can expect answers. You can expect creativity. You can expect, expect unexpected resources. You can expect insight, understanding, wisdom, open doors. And so I want to pray for that. I want to be bold enough to just say, God, would you come and do it again? So if you, if you can think of a place where you need a miracle in your work environment, won't you stand up? Andrew's kind of muttering on the front row. Oh, that'll be everyone. That was my hope. That was my hope. Because even if you're always going fantastic, who couldn't do with a miracle? Who couldn't do with a miracle? And my friends, miracles happen when we stretch our staff over the sea and it opens. Miracles happens when we step into the water and it parts before us. Miracles happens when we say yes to Jesus and we step into the calling that God has for us. So I'm going to ask you to picture that particular miracle you're looking for. And I'm going to pray and we're going to pray. Please pray with me in whatever language you want to pray. Go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, we come to you. Lord God, we just declare over these incidences your miracle working power. Lord God, we speak. We speak walls falling. We speak mountain move. We speak water open. Lord God, we're asking for resources that are beyond their wildest imagination. We're asking for insight and understanding. We're asking for favor. Some of you here, you just need favor. You need, you need your workmates to like you. And so I just, I just declare that over you. Everyone will like you. They will say yes to your suggestions. They will walk with you. They will run after the things that you are running after. I just declare provision, open doors, finances, increase, opportunities. Right now in Jesus' name, more clients. Father God, I just declare over every person here, miracles. Lord God, and I ask that they would be bold enough to take the steps to see the miracles. Holy Spirit, let them expect your backing. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. My friends, before you sit down, I want to, I want to do one last thing before we sit down. And that is, if you are here and you know that you're not in that covenant, you've been flapping your arms very hard to get to Cape Town. You've been working very hard to be a good person, to, to get your life together. But you know, gosh, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I haven't surrendered my life to Him. Or maybe you have and you walked away from that and you've just been working hard on your own. And you want to come back to that covenant. We're going to pray for that now. Church, if we can just pray this together. Lord Jesus. I come to you and I surrender my life. Lord, I step into your covenant. I say yes to what you did on the cross. Lord God, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I give up my own efforts and I take on yours in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
My friends, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, but you really meant it and you want a change in your life, you will see on your, on your chairs, if they're not on your chairs, you will find them at the visitor's lounge, some little forms that say, my next step. Like I made a decision today and I want to move forward with something. I would love you to fill those in. Thank you. It looks like this says next step. I'd love you to, to fill that in and, and just go to the visitor's info table and there's a, a little box there you can fill it in. We will help you with your next step. We'll help you to say, okay, you've made this decision and we're going to help you walk it out. So if that's you, please fill that in. Um, also, if you would, would like to just get connected with the church, there is there is another little form there that says connect, helps you to know where you want to get connected. You can also put that in the box and we can help you get connected. But other than that, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. God bless you. Have a glorious day. Go live the victory that he's given you. Go live that covenant. Show forth his beauty and his order. You're called and you're graced and miracles will follow. God bless you. If there's anyone, I, I felt specifically that some people were having problems with their hips. Um, I, I would love to pray for you for healing. Also, if anyone is, is having any um, internal gastric digestive system issues, I feel like God wants to heal you today. I feel like there's some people with those problems. I feel like God wants to heal you. Please come forward if you are that. That's top Becca, could you help me with some ministry team people? So if, if those are you, I'd love to pray with you and um, see just a miracle and a breakthrough for you. God bless you. Have a glorious day. Amen. Mm -hmm.